All right, so what is this homesteading thing? Is it all fake? Is it all just something that a couple of well-placed people good at video editing have managed to convince the rest of the American population is the key to resilience and success, if not fame and fortune? Well, we're going to be analyzing that today from somebody who doesn't claim to be like a full-on, full-time homesteader. I would never make that claim for myself, but I have been very, very interested in the culture. And that interest actually generated in a place that some homesteaders have a real problem with. So we're going to be talking about kind of this idea, this movement, this culture, whether or not you should do it, whether or not it actually works as advertised. All of that and more coming up on this episode of Making the Argument Powered. By Good Ranchers. And we want to thank everyone in our community chat who asked us to do an episode on homesteading. So thank you to everyone who helped drive the direction of today's show. If you would like to do that as well, you can head down to the link in the description and join our community chat, get to know everybody there. We've got about 450 people, which is awesome, and we'd love to see that. So let's get right into today's episode. All right. Well, as always, I am your host, Nick Freitas, member of the Virginia House of Delegates. But other than that, pretty okay guy. And... I dabble in a little homesteading yeah. and dabbling is the, is the appropriate term. Cause we're going to, we're going to get into that today. Cause uh, Christian and I got in a bit of a, uh, bit of an argument, bit of a shouting match. Okay. Um, Christian and I are actually very, very disciplined when we're on camera, but off camera, straight up <laughs> cage match. We yell things. Verbally. We, we verbally. Th- oh yeah. No. Yeah. Verbally. And, and physically I'll just, we'll just throw things at each other. It's a straight up gladiatorial event. Um, not with us today is my beautiful bride, Tina, queen of the bees, which is a shame because I was kind of relying on her to talk about the beekeeping portion. We're disappointed. Now I'm going to have to talk about it, and I'm just going to make crap up. And then also, <laughs> not with us today is Christian, our resident historian, our, our historian of doom. Uh, not here today. Actually had to go to a, a dentist appointment. Apparently that's the new I'm going out to get some milk. Apparently, dentist appointments have to be scheduled months in advance nowadays. I so. guess so. I guess I, so. I tried to schedule one, and I had to get it for January. Isn't that crazy? It's wild. That's right. That's what we need. We need someone in the homesteading community to just open up their dental practice right out of the garage. And then, of course, our producer of producers, the guy that doesn't let us down, because if he did, we wouldn't be doing this. That's right. <laughs> Nicholas <laughs> Hamilton, the good Hamilton, the one that doesn't like central banking. Let's get right into it. Okay, so we're going to jump right into it. Um, all right, I'm going to start off with a story here. And this is the part where right off the bat, I know some people are going to get mad at me. And guess what? I don't care because I I just geeked out on this. So back in, um, let me see, 2020. So when COVID and everything like was going off, like we had already had, like we'd had chickens for a while. Um, we'd had a garden, we'd done stuff like that, which I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call that in and of itself homesteading, but it's certainly a part of that culture. Right. Um, and, and we decided to expand on that because I mean, COVID was happening, right? It's not like you'd go anywhere anyways. So, so we kind of like, you know, beefed up our, our raised beds and decided to plant more stuff than we had ever planted before, get more chickens and, um, and do all of that. And then it was, it was funny. Cause I remember the day that we were supposed to be planting all of this stuff, Everyone in the family got COVID except for me. Everyone, because COVID was scared. I'm just going to be honest. (laughs) Everyone got COVID except for me. Or what actually happened was all my family was smarter than me when it came to like the difficult days of being outside planting. Because here in Virginia, we're kind of like in that zone six, zone seven area, depending on kind of of where you're at. 
And so I'm the one that had to be out there after Mother's Day because if you plant your tomatoes before Mother's Day in Virginia, there will be a final frost and it will kill them and you will be upset. So I'm out there planting everything. And that year, my wife also decided she wanted to have a pretty elaborate flower garden. I've, I don't, I've never planted flowers before. So all the bulbs, so I, I, I did all of that. So I got everything planted and then magically they were better. And then I got, I got sick. They, they gave it, it to worked me. Out. So, oh yeah, it worked out incredibly well for them. Um, <laughs> but obviously as we're going through all of that and kind of learning different things and, and I was trying to be a little bit more ambitious that year and whatnot. Um, it, it was fun. Uh, things didn't go entirely as planned. Um, but that was, that was also a year that, you know, I started watching Homestead Rescue. Okay. Is that so, on YouTube? Uh, no, no. Homestead Rescue was on Discovery, okay. Discovery Channel. Homestead Rescue, right? And um, look, some people hate it. Some people love it. Some people say it's all fake. Some, I loved it. Like I thought it was. I thought it was really interesting. They go all over the country, kind of helping these these homesteads out and whatnot. And you know, when they first started, it was a little bit more simple. Like they may come in and they were largely using the materials there. Well, as the show went on, season. I mean, it was like nine seasons, I think. Um, it got a little bit more elaborate right now, okay. all of a sudden, like a lot more heavy equipment's coming in. You got a lot more companies that want the advertising. And so they're like donating stuff. And so, I mean, now they're coming in, they're doing some pretty <laughs> incredible stuff in one week. Would you say it's kind of like the history channel for the history community and history YouTube? I don't know. Maybe, maybe a little bit. I mean, that might okay. be a fair comparison. Um, but, but the point was, is that, you know, again, starting off, it was a little bit more simple. I mean, they may bring in a backhoe to help do some, some heavy lifting and stuff like that. Toward the end, it, it got a little bit more elaborate during COVID. They actually went onto their own property in Alaska. And I thought that was really fun to watch. And, and again, you know, people always come up with claims like, you know, this is crazy stuff and you can't really do that. It, guys, it's Hollywood, right? They're trying to get people to watch a show that might not be, you know, it, uh, they might be trying to generate interest in homesteading. And yeah. I will say it that's, what it, that's what it did for me. Like I got, that's what led me into like seeking out people like Joel Salatin and, and looking for um, like homesteaders of America, like Amy fuel, who we, we actually are going to have on the podcast here in the future. Um, and, and people like Justin Rhodes and Je everybody, anybody that knows me or watching my reels and stuff like too, like I fanboy over Jess from roots and refuge, Jess and Jeremiah are awesome. Um, Joel Salatin as well. Joel Salatin's the man, man. man. He's, he's kind of like the godfather. That, that guy does not have a YouTube channel uh -uh. and he is all over YouTube. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, and, and you hear the story of people like Justin Rhodes and when he did like his great, like, um, farm tour across America, like with the old school bus that they kind of renovated and, and things like that. And then like Jill Winger and, uh, Melissa K. Norris is another yeah. one that I think is awesome. Like I, um, so I just started watching all of these channels on, on homesteading. And, um, and I just, I was just fascinated by it, um, for, for a number of reasons. I think one of the, one of the reasons why it, it hit when it did and, and started to gain in like, I would say rapid growth and popularity was because of COVID. I mean, people, one, you had a lot of time you we were just sitting at home, uh, two, you had, uh, people going to the store for the first time in their adult lives and seeing shelves empty. And, and I think that got a lot of people thinking, and then with inflation and the price of things going up. Now, there were a lot of people that thought, oh my gosh, eggs are really expensive. I'm going to go buy chickens and never have to, and, and kind of learn pretty quickly. It's like, yeah, it, it takes a little bit of startup costs, a little bit of investment on the front end and whatnot. And, um, and that's part of what I want to discuss here today. 
right? And, and we want to take questions from the audience. Again, I'm not sitting here and pretending that I am like the authority on homesteading, uh, but I've, I've had an opportunity to meet, spend time, talk to, learn from some people that really do this well. Yeah. Um, again, we well, did and, a... And, and you're in an interesting position as a legislator to help folks who are homesteading get past legis- uh, yeah. you know, laws that may not work well. Oh, yeah. And well, and, and I, I, I'm actually going to be speaking at the Homesteaders of America conference coming up here in October. And that's the topic. Somebody was asking, like, why is Nick Freitas coming on? He's only been <laughs> doing this for a couple of years. It's not like he's got a big operation like that. It's, it's because of the legislation piece is, yeah. is like, you know, um, there, there aren't a ton of people talking about the legislation associated with homesteading, with growing your own food, with markets for this. I mean, most people don't realize that you can go into a state and it's perfectly legal to buy, you know, various drugs, but you can't buy raw milk, right? And, and understanding why are those laws in place and why is it so hard to get rid of them? And that's part of what I'm going to be talking about. But let, let's talk about first, first and foremost, like what do we mean when we talk about homesteading? Let's define our terms here a little bit. Um, Cause Christian and I got in an argument about this and I said, look, I, I said, I don't consider myself a home. Like you can be a farmer without being a homesteader. You can be a rancher without being a homesteader. You can, you can be interested in homesteading culture and various aspects of homesteading in, in a way that I wouldn't, like, I wouldn't presume to call myself a homesteader, right. even though if, if you look at what we do, like we pigs, goats, uh, laying hens, meat chickens, peacocks, we've had quail, um, I grow quite a bit of food. Like we've got a hoop house. So within that hoop house, I, I have probably, you know, five different varieties of, of tomatoes, peppers, um, you know, cucumbers, watermelon, cantaloupe, uh, corn, um, carrots, garlic, onions, basil. Like we, we grow a lot of, we grow a lot of our own food. And then we also preserve uh, a fair amount of it as well. But I still want to call myself a homesteader. And then obviously Tina does the bees, right? And we we were super excited when we got our first harvest off of one of our hives. I got 75 pounds of that, honey. That honey was so good. Dude, that's what our yard tastes like, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what I would say is that we're, we're certainly, I think we're certainly uh, um, in that community. Um, I, I would say like a full-on, no kidding homesteader is someone that at least one person in the family, maybe one of the spouses and whatnot have really like dedicated a significant portion of, of their life of their daily uh, tasks, duties, and responsibilities to this idea of growing or raising a significant amount of their food. Your, some of your more traditional aspects of homesteading might include off grid living, but it doesn't have to. Some of them might also include kind of like minor, like textile, and, and other work, like people might be doing some of their own, like, you know, welding, blacksmithing, you know, right. clothes and stuff like that. And Tina actually does, like, she is fully capable of, like, making clothes and stuff like that. Like, she cuts all of her hair. Like, it's so, but even then, right, the, the vast majority of what I do is not, you know, um, on the homestead or on the farm doing that. But I have a, a huge appreciation for it. And I, and I certainly want to get to a point, like we've always talked about our goal is I'd love to cut out 50% of the grocery store, right? Between um, raising our own meat and, and growing our own produce, right? I would love to be able to do that. And so this year, like the year before we really expanded, we did a lot um, and a lot of it failed. A ton of it failed. It was super depressing. I, I, I was about to say, you may not be an expert homesteader, but you have gone through trial and error and have some failures that you can talk about. 
Yeah, I do. In fact, somebody just said, Nick, did you fix the tilt in your hoop house? Because I did a real, I did a right, real right. when I put up my hoop house for the first time and I had this little like slight tilt. The answer is, um, that was all intentional. Really? And, oh yeah, no, I, that tilt, I, that did was it, for- Did it help light get through better? It, total aesthetic reasons. I was going for kind of an abstract hoop house. That- you do not um, strike me as I think who it's, likes abstract art. I think art. it's it's revolutionary. Or it could be that I just don't follow instructions <laughs> well. Like, I get so mad. I, I got the hoop house from Farmer's Friend, and, and it was great. But um, Wilhelm said, Nick gets into homesteading, does have a hard time. Wait. Um, he does have a hard time seeing Nick in overall in pitchfork or milking cows. Tina was actually the one that wanted to get a dairy cow. I was like, if we get a dairy cow, I am totally cool with eating all the butter, but I'd, I'm not going to be responsible for that. Um, here's what I would say. Um, depending on where you're at, right? Um, and, and if you and if you want to get in, if you want to just let's say dip your toe in the water with homesteading, the question is is where where do you start? Where do you start along this journey of kind of um, you know let's just say building more resiliency, building more resiliency. We'll just we'll yeah. just keep it there. I want you want to cut out a portion of the grocery store, um, or at least you don't want to feel as dependent upon it. Um, here's what I'm going to tell you right off the bat that I think is important to understand. It, it, if, if you think you're going to save money initially doing this, you're probably not probably now you may be really good at it. You may be much better than me. I'm kind of a hands-on learner. I like to go out there. I try stuff and then I realize, oh crap, I shouldn't have done that. Like I did this reel talking about how this is the first year I really tried to do seed starts. Usually I'd go to Lowe's, I'd go to Tractor Supply, I'd go wherever, and I'd buy the plants to plant. I, I don't know what a seed start is. A seed start is is you're just starting a plant from seed as opposed to going to like Lowe's. Again, Lowe's or Tractor Supply, and you buy a plant that's already established, okay. and then you transplant okay. it into your garden. So it's literally just putting a seed in the ground. Well, yes and no. It depends <laughs> okay, on what okay. you're growing, right? So like <clears throat> there's a lot of stuff like in my zone, right, in Virginia – there's certain things I'm, I can't start. I can't just throw it in the ground in February. It's, it's going to die unless it's a crop that's very, very cold, hardy, and, and kind of designed for that. Um, so you start a lot of your seeds indoors, under lighting, or in a greenhouse, um, and that's where you get the seed started. Okay. And then you move it, you either move it to a larger container or maybe you move it outside to like a hoop house, which is not a greenhouse, but it, it adds like an extra month onto your season either way. Um, and then you transplant it into your raised beds or maybe you do like no till gardening or, or some other stuff that you can do, or you put it directly, direct sow it into the ground, whatever it is, or not direct sow, but you, you transfer your seed start there. So this year I thought, <clears throat> all right, I'm going to do, I'm going to do seed starts, man. I'm going to, I'm going to do seed starts. <clears throat> and so I go to Jess and Roots and Refuge. Jess and Jeremiah, Roots and Refuge is one of my favorite. And she is giving you just the greatest advice on how to do seed starts. And I followed some of it. <laughs> and then I thought, well, do I really need that many lights? Do I really need that many inside grow lights? Right. And, uh, and, and, you know, I can start it off with this and then I'm, I'm sure I'll transfer over it. And then instead of using the little clip that where I spell out exactly where I was going, I'm just going to put these neat little acronyms on the side of, and of course I'll remember <laughs> what all of those acronyms are. Um, oh dude, it was a, out of, I probably did over a hundred seed starts and maybe 15 of them actually went into the ground. And what were the plants or vegetables that? Oh, tomatoes, onion, basil, garlic, like everything I'm planning. Yeah. Right. Uh, I, I, I did as a seed start. It's just, I ended up having to go to Lowe's and tractors plant buying a okay. lot of already established plants. What, like what I were the up. successful plants? The beans, the beans did pretty well. 
Okay. Um, some of my tomatoes um, did okay. Were you able to make a bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich? Oh, yeah. It's my favorite. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, we make BLTs with, with our tomatoes and whatnot. But so, so here's what I'm going to say. When it comes to getting started, <clears throat> the, the, what we call the gateway drug into homesteading when it comes for animals is chickens. And by chickens, we, we're primarily talking about laying hens because we've also raised meat chickens before where you're going through and, and meat chickens, if you're doing like a Cornish cross or something like that, which is probably the most popular uh, breed, it's nine weeks from like ordering the chicks, the chicks show up to the post office, like in a little box chicks. And then you go and you pick them up at the post office. You take them home. You, you know, make sure they have heat water. You're, you're going to put in some additional stuff to like kind of fortify them. And, um, but by the time you get those chicks nine weeks later, you're slaughtering them. I mean, they wow. grow fast. Um, that's a little bit harder, but laying hens are kind of, again, that gateway drug. You can go into your tractor supply when all the chicks come in or like here in Culpeper, we have our co-op CFC co-op that we go into and everybody loves it when the baby chicks come in. Cause it's just, it's cute, right? It's, it's adorable. You, you go in there and they got baby chicks, they got baby, um, you know, turkeys and, and everything else, baby ducklings. And, and you can read different things where people, some people swear by turkeys because, you know, obviously it's a great meat bird. Some people swear by ducks because duck eggs are like really, really rich. They're wonderful to bake with. Uh, ducks are filthy though. I'm just going to say that right up front. Not that chickens are super clean, but, <clears throat> but you can go in there get a couple of laying hens and really kind of like start that journey of that experience. Uh, and what people need to understand is that when you get these chicks and you're raising them, um, it's going to take several months before you're actually getting eggs. Um, and they're going to need a warm place and they're going to need something secure and you don't want animals to be able to get in and, and everything else. But it is, chickens are a great place to, to start. And, and yeah. chickens are, it's not just, um, it's not just that you're getting like really, really high quality eggs because the, the eggs taste different. They really do. Really? Oh yeah. The eggs taste different. The shells are, are firmer. You know, you, you can experiment with different things. A lot of people like to put like chili flakes in with the, their chicken feed and stuff like that. And, and you can get kind of a richer yolk. Um, from all that, but it, it, it's just, it's a lot of fun. Chickens are fun to watch. Um, all of a sudden, you know, various scraps and stuff like that. Now you should always like, actually don't just assume that you can throw anything out to your, your chickens and eat it. Like you shouldn't be giving them moldy bread. There's other things you, you yeah. shouldn't be giving them like green tomatoes, right? There's stuff like that. That's different. But for the most part, a lot of the stuff that you eat inside your home, um, that is healthier stuff can go out to the chicken coop. And if you're doing it right, they help you make compost and, and it's just fun, right? Yeah. Chickens, chickens are a great place um, to start if you're thinking about raising animals. So we have a question from uh, MD here on the MTA channel. Yeah. Uh, Nick, what is your take on GMOs? Should they be outlawed? And then let me go ahead and ask another question real quick from Raw while we're at it. Yeah. What is your opinion on minimum space or land required to be a homesteader? Okay, so let me let me go with the GMO ones first because this one will be pretty easy. I, I I am not a fan of outlawing stuff, right? I'm I'm a real I I really got a problem. It's not that it's not that I think that every GMO is good. I, there's a lot of things when we say genetically modified. <clears throat> pardon me. That can mean different things to different people, right? Like most of the produce that that you eat has been like modified and and there's there's kind of like more natural organic ways to to build resiliency and then there's genetically modified where you're really talking about like going in at the at the um, what do they call it? Like at the genetic level of, yeah. of modifying something in order to give it greater resiliency or better coloring or, or things like that. And a lot of the, the GMOs have to do with, with resiliency and pest resistance and, and things of that nature. I, I'm someone that believes in informed consumerism. I, I want you to know what it is that you're getting. I want you to understand that 
part of the reason why we can feed so many people in the world has something to do with the resiliency of crops. And some of that has to do with GMOs. Um, having said that, there's also consequences on the other side to doing things. And, and I think we'll probably find out later in the future that there were other things that we did with respect to industrial style agriculture, um, that there were consequences for that. And so I'm not someone that wants to come in and as, especially as a legislator and say, no, 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 I'm going to make all this illegal. Yeah. Um, I, I prefer the marketplace to do that. Unless of course we're talking about something that, um, that, that really is, you know, like truly, truly, you know, detrimental, like obvious, um, you know, like poison. Right. Um, so that that's to answer your question on that one. I, I'm, I don't know about making a legal, um, I just like the idea of people being informed on, on what, what it is that they're getting. Sure. And understanding that there are, there are benefits from what we might call whole foods or more or, organic foods or, or things like that. That doesn't mean that every food that you eat that isn't organic is automatically dangerous for you or bad for you, but just un understand what is happening with respect to the ingredients, right? Not all tomatoes are the same. Um, as far as the other, what was the other question? Uh, oh, the minimum use, minimum space or land required to be a homesteader. Here's what I think is I, I don't I'm not a big believer in saying that you got to have a minimum amount of land in order to call yourself a homesteader. It, it is amazing what you can do with a relatively small space. And and if you want an example of this, um, the Epic Gardening, I think it's Kevin at Epic Gardening. He, he that dude was growing more food on his front patio than I was on 10 acres. Right. Not that I had all 10 acres in production, yeah. right? Half of my acreage was woods. But um, that's just to say that like he he was he had massive yields from a relatively small space because he was good at what he was doing, knew how to do it, and knew how to maximize that space. So I, I think it's a little bit, you know, a little bit presumptuous to say, oh, well, if you don't have this much again, if you if you want to be a homesteader in the sense that you are you are, let's say, ninety percent plus self-sufficient with the amount of food that you grow or raise, right? When we say grow, we're talking about vegetables, fruits, um, herbs, stuff like that. And when we say raise, we're talking about livestock. Um, then you're going to need some property because in, in most places, if you're in a subdivision, they're not letting you have like roosters and goats and cattle and everything else that you, you might want. But people have different ideas. Like if you're a vegetarian, well, you, you obviously probably don't need a lot of livestock, right? Yeah. Um, I'm not a vegetarian. I'm a meat eater. I need a ton of livestock if I really wanted to take some of those things out. But I, I think that there's also ways that you can augment. Uh, so for instance, if you don't have a lot of space and you, maybe you have an occupation that is more time consuming, maybe it requires you to travel more, gardening is going to be a lot more, um, in, in some respects, is going to be a lot more forgiving to you than animals. Because if you don't regularly feed and water animals, they die on you and they get very upset. That's terrible. Right? Now, now gardening, you can actually set up more like automated structures. You can do the same thing for livestock to some degree, but it's, I would argue it's a little bit more difficult than if you're just having to water plants, right? Uh, occasionally. Um, but the question is, is what do you do? Like, let's say you're in a situation where you're just going to do gardening. You're not ready to jump into livestock, but you still want meat. And, and you want to, you want this, the, the reason why you got into the gardening, the reason why you got into the homestead was yeah. specifically because you wanted to cut out some of the industrial size stuff. Well, good news, good ranchers, yep. good ranchers will provide you you know, a value, you know, a, a value added to your homesteading experience. So if you're someone that says, I'm going to focus on the gardening for right now, I'm not ready to do the meat, but I want to work with farmers. You can go locally. All right. But some people don't even have that option. They don't know where to start. Good ranchers provide you something where, you know, you're getting American raised beef, poultry, pork, 
seafood. Like you're getting this, like with with the kind of not only the ethical but also the uh, quality standards that you want. Now it's being delivered to your door, right? And if you yep. go through here, and this is a great way to support the channel too. If you like what we're doing, and you want to see more of it. Um, you can go to Good Ranchers. You can use the promo code Nick, and within that, you're going to get twenty five dollars off. You're going to get free shipping. And if you set up for one of their subscriptions, so again, this takes the guesswork out of it, right? They're going to give you an additional two pounds of their ground beef, which again, quality ground beef. It's not the stuff you're getting at the, the grocery store most of the time, right? You're getting quality product all delivered to your door. The other reason why I think I like that Good Rancher subscription is because as people are trying to look at like, what, what does homesteading mean? For the people that do want greater resiliency, and they also want to look at this from the standpoint of, um, again, the ethical, right? How the animals are treated, um, the, the quality of the meat that they're getting. But they're also maybe looking long-term where they want to get on more of an established pattern with their, their menus, when you have a subscription and you know things are coming, it allows you to plan your menus better. That, is, that has been one of the biggest things that we are trying to do that is so difficult is, is getting on more of like an established menu. Um, because again, one of, our, one of our kids has food allergies as well. And that's been something that we're, we want to get better at is, is actually having a plan. Because as everyone knows right now, just randomly showing up to the grocery store, it, it used to be you could pop into the grocery store, spend 40, 50 bucks, and, and you, had, you had a meal for your family. That is getting increasingly more difficult to do. And, and discipline on scheduling your menus is, is really important. So um, I, I, Tyler says, um, how would someone break away from the city life to start homesteading? I've lived inner city my whole life. I don't see how it would work logistically. So Tyler, here's what I'm going to say. When it comes to breaking away from the city, you just got to make a decision that, that you want to do that. Uh, if you want to homestead in the city, right, there's people that actually offer good advice on this. Like I said, the Epic Gar cabinet over at Epic Gardening, he, he grew a lot of food on a front patio. You will see people do this on their, on their little uh, lanai. Now, again, some, a lot of apartments and have like rules on what you can do or what you can't do. And that kind of sucks. And you're never going to be able to like fully homestead from your apartment. All right. Let's just be honest here. Um, but if you're looking, if you're someone that wants to look into getting maybe in a more of a rural environment and being able to do that, there's a couple ways you can. Some people will go out and just buy acreage and they use that as their homestead and they kind of look at getting out to the garden maybe a few times a week because again, if you're not raising livestock, a lot of times you can get away with that. You can get away with only, you know, maybe visiting a couple times. There's consequences to that. There's consequences, but you can do it. It is possible. And you will see some people that they will buy acreage and that is their getaway, right? That that's their sanctuaries. They they gotta go to work, they gotta live in their apartment in the city, but they go take their their 30, 45 minute, you know, hour-long drive to the country and and they do stuff. Again, not a ton of people do that, but it's an option. Uh, some people do that as well, where they buy a piece of land and they know it's going to take a while for them to actually build something they can live in. But now with things like barn dominiums, with metal buildings, there's ways that you can actually for fairly cheap, provided you can get your permits and whatnot, you can go out there and you kind of, you can kind of start your little homestead. Um, and maybe you're, you're out there and you got like a little, you know, camper that you live in. Um, maybe you've, you know, maybe you're building that metal building and it's a, it, it ain't ideal to start off with, but it, it, it provides that foothold that you have within the country. So that, that's a way I, I would, I would talk about considering it. But when it comes to starting, getting that garden together. So what would my experience has been, and, and I would highly, and we're going to give you a whole bunch of people that you should go and like, listen to and watch videos from to really give you an, my experience for anyone, when I would tell them what, what should you start with your garden? 
first things first, what do you like to eat, right? If you're growing a bunch of stuff that you don't like, <laughs> then you're not going to enjoy this. Um, but some staples that I would say a lot of people grow starting off that I certainly did starting off that also kind of give you that ego boost. Like, Oh, I can do this zucchini, zucchini and squash, uh, zucchini and squash have a ton of uses far more that you can find recipes for making an apple pie with zucchini instead of apples because it does such a good job of taking on other flavors. Right? So I, I haven't tried it yet. I'm not recommending it. Uh, I am going to try it this year. My favorite way to eat zucchini is uh, zucchini bread. So you just add a ton of chocolate chips. <laughs> my daughter makes it. Uh, my youngest daughter, Allie, she, she makes zucchini bread and it's absolutely phenomenal. But uh, zucchini grows really, really fast. There's two things you have to look out for zucchini. One is the squash bugs. Those things are flipping horrible. The other thing is the uh, vine borers, which are even worse. It's this little like moth thing. It lays an egg. It crawls into the vein and it just, it'll destroy your zucchini. But the reason why I say growing zucchini is a great place to start is because you get really, really high yields and it's pretty easy to maintain. Um, and, and it's a lot of use, a lot of use for zucchini. Um, tomatoes are another great one. Um, tomatoes are a little bit more finicky than zucchini, but um, again, who doesn't love fresh tomatoes, right? Man, a fresh BLT is awesome. Uh, plus tomatoes is, there's so much stuff that you cook that tomato base is a key component to it. I mean, pretty much almost anything flipping Italian. If you like Italian food, man, you're never going to go wrong with, with having plenty of tomatoes. Um, some other stuff too, that's kind of easy. Um, and that you can have indoors. This is a really good one to do. If you do live inside is, is herbs. So, um, basil, I, I love pesto, fresh basil just smells good. It goes well on everything. When we're making like homemade pizzas with our tomato sauce and our fresh basil, dude, that is the bomb. It is awesome. I, I love it. You just throw the basil right on the pizza and stuff. Like, it's, it's so good. And you make that fresh pesto sauce. So basil is a great one. Um, I would recommend people if you're starting off with, and it's super easy. Like I was watching a video on how to transplant basil because I had a bunch of basil going and I wanted to transplant uh, one because it kept going to seed really quick and I was trying to stay on top of it. And it said, literally, you go find your basil that has gone to seed, you go down, you cut it, and then you go stick it in the ground somewhere else. Now, again, you want to make sure it's good soil and, and it's well watered and stuff like that. But I, I literally did that with my basil this year where I had a couple growing in containers, cut it, walked it over another place, planted it in the ground, watered it, and boom, within a, a few weeks had another huge basil plant. I mean, that's one of the things that will blow your mind is how easy some of this is. Um, other good things that are pretty easy to grow um, is like garlic or onions. Uh, potatoes. What I got for potatoes this year was I just did those sacks. You can go buy these canvas or they're not really a canvas. They're like a felty canvas sort of thing. Go buy it on Amazon. They're, they're, they're pretty cheap and you get these big sacks. You just fill them up with some dirt, some compost, some fertilizer, and you throw your potatoes in there. You throw your garlic in there. You throw your onions in there. You'll get a huge yield and they're so easy to maintain. They're easy to weed eat because you just got this one bag. Um, they're easy to harvest. Uh, that's another great that another great place to start when it comes to preserving food because that's another big element of this. Uh, this can be kind of intimidating um, when you're when you're looking at canning and stuff. People get nervous because if I can it right and it goes bad, did I just lose a bunch of stuff? Um, look, if you're really nervous about canning, start off small with something on that. My wife Tina does a lot of the canning in, in our house. Um, but start off with something small and then a lot of stuff too. You can freeze it. Justin Rhodes, who is a, a real big homesteader. He, he runs abundance plus, um, they don't can stuff. They freeze everything and, and they actually prefer that. Um, there's some other people that swear by like, you know, freeze drying that gets a little bit expensive. Like you're looking at 2,500 bucks for, 
you know, some of these like home freeze dryers, but you can just freeze it, go get a stand up freezer, throw it in there. Like we do a lot of that with our peppers and stuff like that. And you can bring it out later and, and you can do that um, with tomatoes. Yeah. We do a lot of the, the canning with that or um, corn is really easy to, you know, you, you flash it and then uh, you can freeze that as well. So again, if you're intimidated by canning, try freezing some stuff. You you will you're gonna you're gonna come up with a lot of stuff. If you got a halfway decent garden, um, you can fill up a freezer pretty quick when it when the harvest is heavy. So get some of that other stuff. And then when you go into li- larger livestock, everybody has a different opinion on what's easier. Um, <clears throat> I've had pigs are not hard. I've had bad luck with pigs mainly because they keep escaping on me. They're, they're a little escape artist. They're such a pain. Um, especially if you're trying to give them like some area, um, Joel Salatin does a great program with putting the pigs out into the woods. I love doing that because they turn your poison Ivy into bacon and what's not to love. And if you stay on top of it and like you, especially if you electrify it, they'll stay put. I, I will say this. One of the hardest parts with, with larger livestock is if you have certain livestock that is a real problem, they keep escaping, they keep encouraging others to escape and stuff like that. You're going to want to cull the herd. And, and even if you got to cull the herd a little bit earlier, do it. Joel Salatin actually talks a lot about that, how if you have animals that are problems and you don't cull the herd, you don't know what genetics are getting passed. You don't know what sort of behaviors are being taught to the rest of the herd. Um, I, I had, I had one episode recently where I, I cannot tell you how much I wish I would have gotten rid of this one pig I had. Uh, I, sh- I should have just got rid of him earlier because he's caused me a lot of problems. But um, look, that's all I would say is like, it's just kind of like the, the introductory, like don't be intimidated by this. Um, there's a couple of things you can do right off the bat. And, and as soon as you kind of dip your toe in it and you figure out that you kind of like this, and you're growing things that you enjoy and you enjoy the process. You need to enjoy the process. If you hate the process, you're not going to keep up with it. You're just not. Um, I enjoy it. I find it therapeutic to go out into my garden, check everything. Not only that, but there's something, I, I don't know. I think there's something deeply manly about bringing in my harvest yeah. and, and providing for my family. Not to mention the fact that the quality, my gosh, when Tina, when we're pulling like our peppers, our, you know, basil, our, you know, coriander, our cilantro, like, you know, when, when you're pulling all of that and she's making like fresh pestos or salsas or something like, dude, it is so hard to go back and go get paste picante sauce, man. When you, when that, when everything you're eating in that salsa was picked the day of, or the day before, dude, it, different experience, man. Just different experience. All right. So who should you listen to? All right. Cause I already said, I'm not the authority on this. I'm telling you what I've, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm telling you what I've learned and what my experience was on trying this out for the last, you know, I guess several years now. Um, but I'm still learning a lot on it. But first one we're going to bring up here, uh, for those of you watching at home, Polly face farms, Joel Salatin is the man. If you live in Virginia, if you don't live in Virginia and you're just, if you are so interested in homesteading enough to where you would actually jump on a plane or take a road trip, um, go to the lunatic farm tours that Joel Salatin does at Polyface Farms. First of all, it's a thousand acres in the Shenandoah Valley and it's some of the most gorgeous country God's ever made, right? It's just incredible. And, and he has a really cool store there. You can buy a ton of stuff at the store from, from his farm. He really focuses, he does a little bit of gardening, but he really focuses on livestock. And I can't think of a better guy to learn from, um, when you're at the homestead level for, for raising livestock, because he does pigs, he does chickens, he does turkeys, he does beef. Um, and he does a lot of it and his composting methods are, are incredible. And his rotation methods this year was the first year we did the meat chickens and we followed the Joel Salatin, uh, process for that where they it's called a chicken tractor and you're, you're 
if you're not familiar with this, you're thinking of a tractor. It's not. It's all a tractor, a chicken tractor is, is like a small little coop that you keep them in that you rotate on a regular basis so that each day they're getting fresh um fresh grass, fresh bugs. They're not constantly sitting there and living in their own like fecal particulates and stuff like that. And, and it is a great way to raise meat chickens and it's super easy. You don't need a lot of space for it. You don't need a lot of space for it at all. And you can get a massive amount of meat chickens into a relatively small, I think he does 75 per tractor. And that's like somewhere around a 10 by 12, uh, you know, 10 by 12, uh, little tractor. It's, it's not much and it's not hard to move. It's easy to move. Um, but it's just great. But you go up there and you, you, you jump on that. He's got a bunch of tractors and you jump on the tractor and he takes you a tour around his farm and he teaches you exactly how they do it. We've got it up here on the screen right now. I think this is the one, is this the one we did? No, no, this this is is a different different video? video. Okay. Um, but super nice guy. And his son, Daniel, uh, his son, Daniel has a really cool way that they did um, chickens and rabbits together in hoop houses. And I'll tell you what, if you want to, if you want to raise a ton of really good, like, you know, you look meat in a short period of time, rabbits are awesome. Not to mention the fact that they're, the rabbit droppings are excellent fertilizer, like chicken, you know, chicken um, feces, you can't, you can't just use it as fertilizer right away. It's considered really, really hot. So it's got to cool down, go into the compost pile and the whole deal. But uh, not the same thing with rabbits. The, that, that manure is really good. Um, and it's it's a ton, and it's really good meat, too. It's I think it's great for um, stews, especially. That's my favorite. But other people use them as, like, just, you know, rabbit nuggets and stuff like that. Uh, but, Joe, take the time. Go up there. Go on this tour. Buy some produce. Or, excuse me, buy some... Um, buy something from the shop, really nice people and a really fun tour. It is like such a nice day trip to go up there. I went up there with my youngest daughter and, um, we had a blast. It it was, it was a good daddy daughter date, right. To go up there and and do that. And we learned, we learned such, we learned a lot in a very, very short period of time. And like I said, Joel Salatin, Daniel Salatin, the whole family up there, super nice people. And and you're not going to meet someone that doesn't want to do more to help you be successful and understand how to do this yeah. effectively than, than Joel and Daniel Salatin. Like I cannot say enough good things about him. So real quick, if you yeah. want to learn more about our trip uh, to Joel's farm, uh, or Homestead. We've got a, a podcast that we did here about two months ago uh, that was really good. And then we also have a 30-minute interview that we did with him uh, last year that just published a few weeks ago yeah. um, here. And it's up to 27,000 views, which is awesome because this is a brand new channel. Yeah. Uh, but this is, this is a really great interview. I just watched it again over the weekend. Um, so yeah, check that out. Yeah, and yeah, because uh, Maxwell Moore asks, hi there, I'm from Massachusetts, and no one in my family has done anything like this, but I'm the black sheep who's extremely into this stuff. I'm going to school for agricultural engineering advice. Uh, and Maxwell, I, I think that's awesome. What, what I will say is that my, my understanding, and I'm not speaking from personal experience, I'm speaking from what other people have told me, is that a lot of the stuff within the university is, is built around kind of larger scale agriculture. And look, I'm, I'm not, I don't... <sighs> there's a lot of people that hate on, on larger scale agriculture or mono cultures and things like that. And and they have some good reasons for it, right? They have some good reasons for it. I, I, that's not me. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm, it's just not me. Right. 
Um, if you wanted to learn about the sort of agriculture that Joel Salatin does, they actually have a, a live-in program that they do where, where people come and learn specifically how to raise livestock, the Joel Salatin method, which is very, very focused on what he calls mimicking what you see like kind of in nature. So a, a lot of like the large-scale industrial, because it's, it's so much over such a quick period of time. Your animals are largely living in, in like feedlots and things like that. Um, if you want to replicate more of what happens in nature, kind of like the herd and whatnot, I mean, I really, like if that's your passion, um, I, I would really look into the different um, things that Joel Salatin has available where you can go down there, spend a summer learning how they do it because it's fascinating. Um, he, he, like a lot of it has to do with like rotating your livestock and like he was talking, he'll, he'll show you how he does it, where he, he'll bring in a herd of cattle, he'll let them graze for a few days and then he'll move them over to an, another uh, paddock. And then a few days after that, he brings in the chickens. Why? Well, because if you look at nature and if you look at what happened in North America with like the large buffalo herds, right? You had massive buffalo herds moving across the plains. And then what did you have coming in after them? Because you had a lot of like, obviously you have a lot of fecal matter when you've got a thousand buffalo running across. Well, the birds come in. Well, what do the birds do? Well, so that the buffalo are eating the grass. They're eating the grass down to a certain level and they leave a lot of manure. Then the birds come in. What do the birds do? Well, the birds eat all like the fly larvae and stuff like that out of the manure and then they scratch the maneuver. Well, what does that do? Well, it gets the manure into the ground, grass, right? So it, it helps for uh, healthy soil, help, healthy grasses. You know, when we talk about like, you know, carbon and, and global warming, all those other things, you know, a, a healthy savannas, healthy grasses, healthy forests, this is all really, really good for this. And if you're doing this in such a way, if you're, if you're incorporating your livestock into these things, as opposed to kind of like fighting nature with like massive amounts, um, you, you actually end up with a really, really well-balanced rotation. Now, Look, if, if you're, you know, trying to just get like the, the best, you know, the most you can out of, um, you know, your beef or your pork or whatever it is, feedlots have figured out how to do a lot of that, but there's consequences to it, right? And the consequences has to do with vet bills and diseases and, and everything else that, that happened as a result of it. And the fact that I don't believe the quality of the beef is as good on a feedlot as it is with a cattle that's actually gone through the process of, of grazing. And some people want just grass fed. Some people want corn finished, like a grain finished. Do what you want. I'm not telling you what to do. But if you want to learn how to do that, um, you're, you're going to need to be very intentional on the courses you take within a university system uh, versus maybe going out and studying for someone like Joel. But I, I would really encourage you, take a look at what they do, maybe spend a summer doing it. You, you might end up loving it and you might end up loving that, that process. Um, okay, let's, uh, let's go to the next one. Um, is this Abundance Plus? Yep. Okay, this is Abundance Plus. And you're going to notice when you look on this, for those of you that are listening, I'll kind of describe it. You'll see Justin Rhodes up there, but you're also going to see Jill Winger, Joel Salatin, Jess and Jeremiah, uh, and some other like prominent uh, homesteaders and people within this space. Um, Justin Rhodes uh, has an incredible story. Like he, when he got really into this, um, and Justin has really got an entrepreneurial spirit as well. And there's some people that, there's some people that kind of like, you know, hate on Justin a little bit because he's done so well on YouTube and they, the same people will hate on Joel. Cause they'll act like, Oh, you're acting like, you know, you're, you're making your money as a homesteader when in reality you're making it on YouTube and you're making it by writing these books you're like, or you're making it by, can I just say something right now? I don't care. I have learned so much about effective homesteading and if they're making it, I hope they all get super rich on YouTube. 
I, I'd love for something good to happen. They're on providing YouTube. value to a lot of. They're people. providing value for it, and they've they, as entrepreneurs, they have found way to branch out what they love to do into other areas in order to make additional income. Because it is difficult to make your sole source of income in agriculture, right? That's not necessarily easy. It, it, it might not be as difficult as some people want you to think it is. And certainly uh, you don't have to do it, but there's, there's work, there's effort, there's difficulty in finding markets. Believe me, I know as a legislator, there's people that are actively, you know, trying to thwart some of the ways that you could make money on, on smaller scale agriculture. So these guys have found a way to, to be able to share their passion for something with a lot of people who, by the way, don't intend on being full-time homesteaders in the sense that that's their primary source of income, right? A lot of it is people like me where I, I want to, I want to gain more resiliency, but this isn't what I see as doing as my primary occupation, um, and, and they're the one, they're the guys I get to go to and I get to learn from and I get to learn from their mistakes and they're really, really encouraging. And so Justin Rhodes set up Abundance Plus where you can not only see his videos, not to mention videos that YouTube won't show you because slaughtering a chicken on YouTube is, is shocking and you can't see it and they won't give you ad revenue. So they, they do as much as they can on YouTube. They're providing you free content, right? And then they have Abundance Plus where you pay a little bit extra. I'm a member, I think I pay like 15 bucks a month. And you can get all, all the videos and learn how to do this stuff. And, and it's useful. But Justin Rhodes really started off where he was, and they, him and his wife are open about it. They had, there was health issues. There was financial issues. They were passionate about this. They, they wanted to learn how to do it. Justin put in a lot of work. They did their farm tour where, again, they, they kind of renovated an old school bus for them and their kids. And they went around talking to people that were homesteading and talking to people that were farming a little bit differently. And, um, and, and he did stuff on uh, permaculture chickens, right? That was one of his first documentaries they put out there. And he gained some success and, and it was good stuff, right? So that's a great place for you to go. Abundance Plus, Justin Rhodes. Um, you know, again, do what you like. I'm not telling you what to do, but I, I found value with it. Let's look at the next one, Roots and Refuge. Um, so Jess and Jeremiah are, are awesome. Uh, Jeremiah was actually working in full-time ministry when Jess started doing more and more with like her local garden. Jeremiah actually grew up on a farm, Jess didn't, but she always wanted to. And so she's got a really cool story and um, it's been, it's been wonderful to watch their success as they've been able to expand and do other things. And then on, on top of that, um, Jess is the first person I went to when it came with um, trellis gardening. So for those of you that don't have a, a lot of space uh, to garden in, right, and you're looking to um, try to maximize the space you have, vertical gardening, right? That's another way yeah. to put it is vertical gardening. You can grow a lot in a relatively short uh, space if you've, you know, all you got to, all it takes is like some cattle panels, some, um, some tea stakes. You literally go down to tractor supply and for about 40 bucks, you can get um, a cattle panel and for a lot of your stuff, your tomatoes, your beans, um, I've grown watermelon, I've grown cantaloupe, I've grown tomato, like all kinds of stuff. But that, that structure that it helps you to grow vertically. I've also made like archways. And so I thought this is really cool. I didn't just do it because I thought it would be a cool way to grow vertical and maximize my space, but I actually thought it would just, it would look cool. And that's one of the things that Tina and I were trying to do. We, we, we kind of called it like our Eden garden. Like we wanted a garden that we didn't just go to, to pick stuff. We wanted to be aesthetically pleasing. We wanted it to be fun. And there is something cool when I've got like several archways, um, down by our little outside area that we go to and we spend a lot of time in and we barbecue in, I've got several archways where I can just go and like, there's like 
my cucumbers or my the beans or peppers have like literally grown up and over this archway. And so now it's just sitting there hanging. So when I go to like pick stuff, it's just right there. Right. And it's, it's cool. It's, it's, it's really cool. But Roots and Refuge, Jess and uh, Jeremiah from Roots and Refuge, they do gardening, they do uh, livestock. I've learned a lot about the proper way to grow your plants from seed, because I will tell you right now, um, every time I was like, you know what, I'm going to try something new that nobody's thought of. I did a reel once and I finally just said, look, if Jess from Roots and Refuge hasn't done it, right? Or she's not telling you to do it. It's not because she hasn't thought of it. It's because that crap doesn't work. And so I've had, I had to learn the hard way. Like I said, I started probably a hundred different seed starts this year. I got to maybe use 15 of them because I just, I didn't do it well. I didn't follow instructions. I thought I could figure out. It was like, Oh, what's the big deal? You know, if this works, this should work too. This would be good. Nah, not always. And there's reasons for it. So learn from people like Jess, um, Again, Jess, Jeremiah, they did a great job. Also, Kevin from Epic Gardening is, is really good on the on the seed substance and planting. Hey, before I go any further, uh, I'm going to welcome Christian back from the dentist yeah, office. Oh, Christian's I back. My, I don't think my mic is actually on. There, there we, we go. go. There he is. He's back. Yeah. Not, uh, not, now the stream, well, it's apparently not a stream now, but now the show can really begin, right? No. <laughs> That's right. Now we can find out the, the doom side of homesteading from, from Christian. You know, I actually have a really funny story about like trying things new when okay. it relates to homesteading. Anybody yeah. who knows me knows that like, they're probably like Christian, a homesteader. That's like the least likely thing ever. <laughs> but believe it or not, as crazy as it sounds, I have more experience watching other people homestead <laughs> the nick has experience being a homesteader here's the reason why my parents have arguably been homesteading longer than it's been popularized on the internet they've been doing this for almost 20 years now um they own an acre and a half i have to i have to stress an acre and a half every time i bring it up because my my mother got upset at me last time when i said that they own an acre but they own an acre and a half of land um at their peak they had over 40 chickens and they've been growing their own vegetables for, again, almost two decades. And I didn't really know what this was. I just thought this was weird stuff my parents were into when I was a kid. Yeah. And, and then as I got older, especially in the last couple of years, I now realize in retrospect, oh, my my parents have been doing a lot of this stuff that people on YouTube have been talking about for a long time. Not on a massive scale. Sure. But here, here's the funny thing, though. My father tried <laughs> when I was a very young child. Um, living in Tyler, Texas, eastern part of Texas, very, very humid, like the opposite of the desert part of West Texas. Yeah. It's basically like Louisiana. Um, my father tried to grow a watermelon one summer. This was like, I don't know, like 1998 or something like that. And... <laughs> And it was the most pathetic watermelon ever. <laughs> I give him an A for effort, but eventually he tried to like harvest the watermelon. It was like, it was like the size of a football, maybe yeah. um, like the most unripened thing ever. It was basically un, you know, unedible, but it was just so funny watching him trying to grow this watermelon. Yeah. He like bought seeds and he was like, I'm going to grow my own watermelons on my own plot of land one day. Yeah. And we learned, or I should say, because I was like four, right? But like he learned the hard way that no, apparently you can't grow watermelons in East Texas in the summer. You like, there's a lot of things you can do. It might not be the most advantageous environment to do it in. Like I, I'll tell you what, the first year I grew watermelons um, and cantaloupes, I was horribly disappointed uh, with how it all turned out. It did not do well this year. Epic. This year's been great. Really? Oh yeah. And you haven't shared any with Hamilton Dude, and I. You guys, you guys don't. You guys, I, I don't know what to tell you, man. I, I've had I've had more cantaloupe than Look I know what to honey. do with. 
We got I have more. Yeah, calories. that's true. We and well, the, the the watermelons are really starting to har- like. I harvested a couple of watermelons uh, a while ago. I've got to harvest a ton of them right now. Like I I I probably have ten watermelons out there that are ready to harvest. The difference is is that it's so much easier to tell when cantaloupes are ready because they just kind of fall off. Mm-hmm. With with watermelons. Everyone will tell you something different. Like, oh, it's the little tendril. Oh, it's the little yellow spot at the bottom. Oh, it's when they're not as shiny around the side. Oh, it's a combination of these factors. I finally watched one guy and he said, look, he goes, if you've got to cut the vine off, right, it's still probably, if you can pull it and it comes off, it's probably fully ripened. It's not to say that the other stuff doesn't matter. The sound and the little yellow spot and the like not as shiny on the outside and a little bit more rippled. And then the other thing too is that you better grow them on mounds. I grow them on the side of a, um, a side this year. So much better. The other thing too is that if you've got like this, we've got, it's really hot right now. This is a perfect time because we haven't had rain. You don't want a lot of water with the melons like the week that you're, you're planning to harvest because they just don't, they don't taste as good. Um, all right, so roots and ref, jets with roots and refuge. Um, next, go to uh, Melissa K. Norris. You have that one up. Yes. Okay. So Melissa K. Norris. Um, what I thought was great about uh, Melissa, the way I first found her, is that she was talking about the the pigs that she was raising. I'm sure, she did a lot, a whole lot better than we did. Uh, she's in uh, the Northwest, I believe. I think she's Washington State. This is the other thing that's kind of cool is finding homesteaders that are in your same growing zone. Um, it's not to say you can't learn people to outside your growing zone, but they're, you're, you're going to deal with unique difficulties and times of year that you're going to plant. Um, so if you are in the Northwest, Melissa is phenomenal. She's great. Um, I learned a lot about, um, like when I planted my fruit trees this year, I went straight to her videos and I was watching her videos for planting my fruit, fruit trees. I I've got two cherry, two nectarine, two peach, two plum, two apple, cold hardy fig, um, I'm really, I'm super excited about it. Um, I've, I've always wanted a fruit orchard. Um, and I got those and I watched her videos and I, I followed to the extent that I followed her instructions. They did well. And to the extent that I did not, they did not do well. And so once again, don't cut corners. When Melissa says, plant your fruit tree this way, just plant your fruit tree that way. She doesn't need your, she like, again, you, you doing it a different way is not because you thought of something Melissa didn't it. <laughs> like, so, uh, but she does a great job. She also does, I think she just got a new place where she's doing a lot of the uh, medicinal herbs as well. And that's really cool um, because there's a lot of people that have gotten a little bit more concerned with some of the pharmaceuticals and, and they're looking for ways that they can not only, you know, improve their health through what they eat and the quality of the food they eat, but also utilizing certain home remedies, utilizing certain things and, and growing certain herbs and whatnot. And, you know, Melissa's got a source for that as well, but she, she does a, she does a great job. Um, so that's another one that I, I'd encourage you to, to take a look at. Um, We've got a few people in our own circle chat that are into this, not necessarily yeah. on like a large industrial scale, but um, I, I, I have a feeling when we publish this episode that we might have a conversation circle with some people that are like really into this topic because I noticed that like in the um, conservative, I don't know what you call it, sphere, Yeah, there's there's a chunk of people that are really into this. Mm-hmm. And then there's people like me that don't know anything about this topic. Well, this is, and this is the part where I wanted to give people, uh, I wanted to tell them kind of my own experience and where I've done well and where I have failed at this. Right. And not as an expert, just as someone that's learning and tell, mm-hmm. show the people who I've been learning from. Right. And to the extent that I've done well, it's because I listen to these people. <laughs> and to the extent that I have not done well, it's because like I can figure this out. Um, but it's been, it's been a ton of fun. Like I got to say like one of the, one of one of the things like I, I like to do that I get a special kick out of is when 
we're going to have a barbecue and we got friends over and it's time to harvest something. And like the kids come over, I'm like, Hey, go pick a watermelon, right? Go, ah, uh, go pick, go. No, pick that, that is pretty cool. And it is, they love it. Right. Yeah. It's cool. Like I get to pick a, yeah, pick a watermelon, throw it in the pool and let it cool down a little bit. And then we'll open that up later. Right? <laughs> and, and it's, it's a lot of fun. Like if we're, again, we're making salsa and Tina's like, Oh, I need some jalapenos. Pick. Oh, let me, let me tell the audience the jalapeno, what is it? Jelly? No, you're talking. That's the habanero. Habanero jelly. jelly? Okay, yeah. audience listeners. It's a habanero. And, we've yeah. had people asking for a store. I'm gonna make a special request to Nick and Hamilton. I don't know if it's possible, but we have got to find a way to market and sell Tina's habanero jelly. Yeah. It is first off, like you guys will be able to retire immediately because it'll sell out. <laughs> it'll sell out overnight. It's it's. I cannot say enough good things about it. If you like spicy anything, yeah. Her habanero jelly. Also, the honey that you guys um, yeah, get from Tina from all the yeah. beehives that she manages. She brought some over, and Hamilton and I have been using it. In fact, when I make the next round of buffalo chicken mac yeah. that I make, <laughs> I'm probably maybe maybe I'll use it with some good ranchers chicken. Yeah. The um the next the the next uh, pot of buffalo chicken mac that I make is going to be using the honey that she brought over as well. I don't yeah. know if you had previously brought this up in this episode because I I just walked in ten minutes yeah, ago yeah, from we the dentist's office, her. but those two things are like. No, I could totally see like a reason why people are interested in it because the idea of like being able to just grow your own stuff, but also like invite people over and, you know, tell the kids to go grab a watermelon. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it's it, kind of cool. Fun. It, like I said, it, it's, it's, it, there's, there's this huge, there, there's something about when you uh, initially you have your planting days, right? Like, or, or for me, it was like when I had my seed start days and then it was like, or now I have my planting days or my transfer days. And then it was the, you know, you, you have your days where all of a sudden the first, the first fruits start to come on and you start to see it happening. And then, and then you have your harvest days, which are awesome. And then you're and like, and in the meantime, you're, you're researching different things, like different ways. How, how, okay. How do I make this more successful? And then you're, and then you're like looking at recipes. Like Jill Winger has got a really good, uh, she does, I think the Prairie Homestead. She's got a really good cookbook. Um, and, and you're, you start to develop these recipes for the things that you're growing and the quality of, of the dishes and stuff like that when it's fresh. Um, I mean, it's just, oh, it's nothing just beats eggs that are coming from chickens that you own. Yeah. Nothing like, like, and again, I say this as somebody that as a child in many ways hated raising these chickens, <laughs> but like you can just tell the difference between store-bought eggs oh, yeah. and eggs from your own chickens. Yeah. You can just physically see, not not even just taste. I mean, there's also obviously a huge difference there as well, but like you can just tell there's well, a big and, difference. And here, here's what I here's what I would suggest people do. Right now, again, if you're if you've already started doing this, you know the deal. If you if you haven't, here's some things to start. But this next part is is really what I want to get into, and that is where can you actually like go? Where can you meet up with people that are doing this? And dude, these are fun, right? Like, so here's the first one, uh, Modern Homesteading. Uh, they do their event. Let's go ahead and do the uh, 2023 uh, recordings. It's it's when the people are doing, um, all right, go ahead and scroll down here a little bit. Um, they have the different conferences and stuff that they do. And this was this was ranked as one of kind of the top nine in the country to go to. Um, and, and I'm trying to figure out where the, um, go ahead and look at the vendors or the vendors. All right, so they're they're already getting ready for 2024. I think they've already had the 2023. But um, 
a lot of these homesteading conventions are, are a ton of fun because you're not just showing up to, you think convention a lot of time, you think business conventions where you're showing up to like an auditorium or something like that, or you're showing up to a place where there's a lot of booths and whatnot. The, these are, <laughs> I, I think, so much cooler. In fact, let, let's go to the next one. Go to the uh, uh, Hardison Mill uh, Homestead Festival. This one, I haven't been to this one, um, but you can tell just when it first pops up. Like a lot of these are not just a homestead festival. I mean, these are like, like it's a music festival too. Um, like I think, is this the one? Big um, outdoor stuff. Oh yeah. And and you're going around and a lot of times, um, you know, you'll have like some main tents where they have like main speaking areas, just kind of you expect. And a lot of times it's big names within the homesteading community. Joel Salatin's a lot of these, Melissa Norris, Jess, Justin Rhodes, like all the people I mentioned before. Um, What's they're the all one? there. What's the one that you're going to? I'm getting to that. Oh, okay. Stop so, jumping ahead, I didn't know. Man. I didn't Stop know. Yeah, exactly. Because you were at the dentist, like hanging out instead of like preparing. <laughs> All right. But you, you go here and, and I mean, these things are not just homestead festivals. They'll be music festivals. It's time you're hanging out with a lot of like-minded people, a lot of shared values. And there's usually a lot of product you can buy as well. Um, I went to, um, in fact, let, let's go ahead and we'll just jump ahead to the, um, the Homesteaders of America one because that one's coming October 13th and 14th. Um, Homesteaders of America, I am very partial to. I'm a member of Homesteaders uh, for America. I if you look, your face right is there. also on the flyer. If, if you look <laughs> now, if you look at the flyer for the next Homesteaders of America, October 13th and 14th, coming up at the uh, Warren County Fairgrounds in Front Royal, Virginia, and you look at the flyer, you're going to see this uh, good-looking guy here. And who's that? Well, that's Joel what? Salatin. And what? then this other guy. Uh, <laughs> why, why did they put you right below Joel Salatin? I feel awesome. I can't like I'm right. There's, like, that's Daniel. So you got Joel Salatin, then you got me and Daniel, and then you got Joe Winger and Matt Boudreaux and if, Justin Rhodes. If you're on audio, uh, listen to this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Go to homesteadersofamerica.com if yeah. you'd like to see what we're talking about. Here. But it's like they're on a, the front page. <laughs> but here's what's so cool about this, right? You're going to show up to these fairgrounds, and there will be probably, I mean, there'll be thousands of people that show up. And people show up in their RVs. They show up in tents. They camp out. Um, they, you know, they'll, they'll kind of barbecue. The, the, I mean, they do a lot of fun stuff. And then you, you've got a bunch of main stage speakers. Like I'm there speaking again. I'm not there speaking as an expert homesteader. I'm there on speaking on how to effectively engage with the legislature on getting pro homestead legislation through, because there's so many rules and regulations that prevent you from doing stuff that you should be able to do. Like it is ridiculous. It, why is it easier to buy drugs than raw milk? Like, come on people. Um, you know, why, why is it so difficult to be able to buy, you know, stuff from my neighbor? And, and we go through the process of explaining why some of those difficulties exist, how you can effectively, you know, lobby your legislators to be able like, you know, again, look at your laws, look at what you wish would change. And then uh, like someone like me, there's someone like me in every state that wants to help make this easier for you. But what ends up happening is there's this huge disconnect. And I've seen this Christian has been there for this, where I have carried pro homesteading legislation and people showed up and, and it's our side my, yeah, my side kills the bill because they didn't understand an amendment or they didn't understand what was going on or where we were in the process. Or I had one lady who's a friend of mine start yelling at the chairman of the agricultural committee in the middle of the committee. Can I just say, if, if you want to kill a bill, start calling the chairman of the ag committee a liar. Right? And um, very nice lady. She profusely apologized. I said, that's 
we're probably not going to get our bill now. <laughs> um, and, and in all honesty, it was, it was really difficult in the first place because it was a raw milk bill, but, um, which is such a shame that it really is. But, but what, what I do, what I'm going to be doing at this actually is I'm going to be telling homesteaders like, look, you guys have a lot of good information about homesteading and about the value of this and about the nutritional aspects and about the health issues. What most of you don't have is a knowledge of the inner working of not only the legislature, and, and even some people that do track this will be like, no, 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 I know that, you know, this organization doesn't like us or this organization doesn't like them. Like, yeah, but you don't know the individuals on that subcommittee to the set. Like I do let, let me, let me help you help me help you help me help you. Right. And trust me on certain things and, and inform me, like give me the knowledge that I need to be able to effectively advocate for this. But trust me that there's certain ways that are not the best way to advocate. Um, I, I had this, I had this one episode and I got very frustrated. I got very visibly frustrated. And, uh, after we left the committee room, I held together in the committee, but I, I had people show up advocating on behalf of my bill, but there was something they didn't like. There was one thing, there was one minor thing they wanted changed. And when they got up for their two minutes to speak about my bill, they spent 90% of the time talking about the change that needed to take place and 10% talking about how important this was for their industry. And what they did was they gave everybody at that table an excuse to vote no because, well, there's that thing you got to change, Nick. Well, couldn't we? And, and I'm sitting there and afterwards we left. I'm like, why am I now? See, why is it that the first time I am seeing you to talk about this bill is at the subcommittee meeting? Like I could have, we could have handled this two weeks ago during the drafting phase. We could have handled this during the amendment phase. We could have. But no, you, you showed up. Well, oh, but all I said was, is that we needed this small amendment. I said, I was fighting a stacked deck of people that needed to be convinced to do this. And what you did is you gave them the one thing they needed to be pro homestead and kill my bill. Because now they can say, oh, well, we had homesteaders say that this was, this was bad because of this amendment that was needed. And we didn't have that amendment before us. And it was a late day and we didn't have time to change it. Like that's the sort of dynamic that like I need to give the homesteading community the institutional knowledge they need to understand how to effectively lobby because even some of the groups out there that are there to lobby don't know how to lobby because they don't do it professionally. They're doing this as volunteers and I love God bless them for the work that they do. And sometimes they've had some great successes, but another times it's like, look, if you've got a legislature, the legislator that wants to work with you, that's a long process. That's not a five minutes before the subcommittee meeting. So I'm going to explain that, but there'll be a lot of other people that will be doing anything from just talk, like John Lovell was there last year talking about how to defend your homestead. It was awesome. John Lovell's former army ranger. He runs warrior poet society. Um, and it was just a really cool, it was Is this going to be filmed at all. Uh, I don't, because I think Actually, there's a, a great lot of question. people that would probably on the internet that would probably yeah. want to watch your, I know yeah. the, the Homesteaders of America do, they do film it. They do we'll be there filming your speech and everything. Yeah. And then the other thing too is again, dude, walk around, buy some honey, buy some jellies, buy some jams, buy whatever they're selling. Is Tina bringing her honey? We're, I got to talk to Amy about that because we're, we're a speaker, but we haven't set up a booth and this thing, these things sell out so quick. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I'm really helpful. That's one thing I want to talk to Amy about is how do we get a bigger venue? Because when, when something like this, um, and go check, always check. Don't, don't just assume because it was, you know, sold out last, just check. When something like this gets sold out six months before it's scheduled, 
that's an indicator that we've got a ton of interest because I've already had people like stopping me going, I've gone every year and I went to go buy my tickets and it was sold out. And that, that's great, great problem to have because, again, when you show up to this, unlike so many other conferences where you show up, you look at a booth, they tell you something, they try to sell you something, they give you a business card, you sit there and they give you a PowerPoint presentation. Dude, you're going to go here and Joel Salatin, Joel Salatin is going to teach you how to process chickens right in front of you. He's going to process three chickens right in front of you. Right there, there's going to be other people that are teaching how to process rabbits, how to process other you know livestock, how to do certain things. You get time to actually talk with people. It's so cool, and in the whole environment, like one of the things I love about this is that in an era where so many people are so depressed and so like hostile toward everything and so doomsday about everything, like this guy over here, <laughs> you are going to meet. You are going to run into so many people that desperately want you to succeed. They want you to succeed. They want you to be successful. There's always going to be, look, there's always going to be something, that'll never work. You shouldn't do it that way. Or why'd you do it that way? I only do it this way. There are so many more people that will just be like, here's what I did. Here's what I've tried. Here's the success I've seen, you know, and hey, yeah, you should try it too. And if you say, well, what about this? Yeah, give that a try, right? Like it's, it's a very, um, you know, they talk about practicing medicine. It's like, we're practicing homesteading, right? It's, you're, you're trying different things. And the other thing that I think is so important about actually going to the live events is one, there's going to be people from all over the country. We, we were walking around this thing last year. We, we weren't, we went, but we weren't like a speaker or anything. And we had people, it was funny. I had someone come up and be like, oh my gosh, I, I love your YouTube. We love your, you know, Instagram reels or whatever it was. Can we get a picture? Yeah, sure. Where are you guys from? Washington state, right? Like th this event, this event is about an hour and a half away from my home. So when someone comes up to me there and says, oh, I love your channel. We love what the, the work that you do. I'm thinking, oh, they, you know, they know they're me from, from Gulf Effort. They know me from Virginia politics, right? They drove it. Washington state. People come from all over the country, sometimes from other, other countries to, to share in this experience. And as we talk about building intentional communities, if you want a surefire way to find a bunch of people that are going to have similar interests, similar values. Um, you know, showing up to one of these homesteader conferences is a great place to do it, and uh, you will have a blast. And again, show up for a day, show up for three days, but just also, just do it. this is not an ad. Oh no, no, sorry, this is not an ad. Like I don't have a deal with. <laughs> I don't have a deal with Homesteaders of America. I just love the work that they do. I, I yeah. love what Amy has. Amy has built this from something that started off relatively small um, and, into something that you've you've got some of the biggest names in homesteading coming to and having a great time and networking. And I, I'm like, I'm just really proud of her. I'm proud of her. I'm proud of her family. I'm proud of what they've done. I'm proud of this organization. Again, they don't pay me for anything, right? I just like Nick just like saying positive things about other people. I like so saying much positive so things that, about good people, and people are like, oh, is yeah. this, oh, it must be an ad. Like, no, I just, I'm I'm just really proud of what they've done. Um, all right, let's go to uh, we had another one. What is it? The Indiana Homesteading Conference. So the um, Homesteaders of America. The only thing here's the only thing I don't like about Homesteaders of America, the acronym, HOA. <laughs> <laughs> The only thing I don't like, but, uh, but you know what? I look at it as she is taking back the HOA yeah. acronym and turning it into we something. We will help her. Turning it into something we can be proud of instead of something that we all uh, despair. Okay. Uh, that's October 13th and 14th in Warren County, Virginia. There's another one coming up in Indiana, October 21st and 22nd, rain or shine. Um, same, like, look, you're going to see Sean and Beth Doherty, uh, pork rind. 
pork right he's the uh, pork evangelist um he, he raises the pork evangelist? He's, yeah really strong uh yeah great great guy <laughs> joel salatin's gonna be there speakers workshops demonstrate they do a lot of stuff for kids too this is another thing i like so many conferences that you go to especially in, and i i will include this within like the christian community what are they women's conferences men's conferences right business conferences industry conferences these are family conferences, man. Kids are kids are there. They got stuff for the kids. This that's one of the things I love about the community. It's focused on the entire family, not just the dad or the mom or the kids or like everybody. Um, but like you can see right here on some of the things, they're gonna be doing gardening, beekeeping, fiber arts. That's another thing too. Something like my daughter loves to crochet. She's super good at it. That's become one of the things that she does for people for like Christmas presents or just thank you gifts as she crochets them stuff. And being able to do that with your own fiber is really cool. Um, that's what I should have got. I should have got her a fiber goat instead of a milking goat because the milking goat didn't end up getting milked, but a fiber goat, we probably would have got some good cashmere stuff out of that. Um, home defense, homeschooling, uh, permaculture. Is that actually where cashmere comes from? Yeah. I thought it came from the you know, war-torn region between Pakistan and <laughs> India. I, I, I didn't know that, that, that it yeah, came from goats. goats yeah. Actually, they might have come from goats in Kashmir, but I, yeah. yeah, I didn't know that. That's interesting. <laughs> so anyway, they got all this stuff in India. I might actually, you know what? I got to look in to see if there's still, uh, let's just look right now. Is there still tickets for that one? Let's Go look see. at the, uh, uh, let me see. Can you just still, some of these tickets. Yeah, cl click on tickets 2023. Rain or shine. All right, click on read more. I want to see if there's still tickets for this because we have family in Indiana. Buy tickets here. You do? Yeah, we have family in Indiana. Look at that. Oh, we might have to. We might have to go to the. Uh, we might have to go to the Homesteaders Conference we that weekend. How far we, is that drive? It, it's a bit. It's a bit. You know what we need? We need a making the argument RV. We do. We need a, a Nick Freitas making the argument. RV, we can all drive up there, go to our homesteaders conference. You'll love it, Christian. We'll also go to we'll go to we'll go to What? Re I'm being What if we go to what if we go to reenactments too? Then it would be cool, There's right? There's no reenactments in Indiana? Yeah. Yeah, there are. How many battles were fought in Indiana? How many battles were fought in California? We used to have civil war reenactments in California. Yeah, maybe unrealistic ones, ahistorical ones. They were totally realistic. You were reenacting what a civil war battle looked like. It didn't have to be on a battleground. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Who could forget the battle of San Jose? <laughs> Such a punk. Yeah, it's like... It, it's like, it's like he thinks that the only way you can reenact a, like a World War II battle is that if you're actually in Germany or in France or in Italy or Russia, you know, they do these reenactments like not on the actual battlefield. It, it's there to give you an idea of, how, you know what? We got off topic. This is why <laughs> you're why we can't have nice things. All right. So no, all right. socialism is the reason why we can't have nice things. You have the mug. All right. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to look at going to that. That might, that might be pretty cool. And, and we could see family too. Um, all right, let's go to the next one. Uh, what is this? 2023 Homesteading Skills Festival. This one might, oh, is this 2023 or is this 2024? This is a large community. There's a lot of these like conferences. This one's in Ohio. Uh, this is the Homesteading Skills Festival. Um, again, family, family friendly fun on 200 acres, local canoe, canoeing, fishing, socials, ropes courses, climbing gym. Like this is what I'm talking about. Um, there's just so much stuff you can learn at these things and they're, they're a blast for your entire family. Um, it doesn't look like they have the 24, 24 dates yet. This might, so this, some this one might already happen, but like, this is an annual one that they do. Um, yeah. Named one of 2023's top nine homesteading conferences. Um, 
Oh, scroll down, scroll down. See, this is the other thing that you get in here is that a lot of times, a lot of times homesteading gets kind of consumed within like the food, food preservation, all that. But look at this. Scroll back up. Look at that. That's doing carpentry right there. I, I guarantee you at the Homesteaders of America conference, they're going to have blacksmithing. Um, you know, there, there's all of this other stuff that you can do. Um, again, there's the medicinal side. There's the oil side. There's all this other stuff that's like super cool. Um, things that are just like good to know. You know, my, there was a lot of stuff like traditional schooling that drove my son nuts, man. But I give him, I give him an assignment on the, on the forge and kittle work, you know, 12 hour days, you know, preparing something on the forge because he's really enjoying it and it's cool. And he's learning principles of, he's learning scientific principles. He's learning marketing principles. He's, I mean, it's just great. It's really cool stuff. Um, I think that was the last one that we were highlighting here today. Uh, the bottom line is, here's what I want to tell you. If you are all remotely interested in homeste uh, homesteading, check out a couple of these channels. And then I would really say, like, as a point, pick one of these homesteading conferences. And I'm telling you right now, you better look in advance because they sell out quick. And the reason why they sell out quick is because of how much fun they are. This is like, I think this is one of the best kept secrets of, you know, family, like uh, family entertainment and knowledge, which goes so far beyond just the, Hey, we're going to go spend $2,000 at Disneyland and get like a $7 hot dog so that, you know, Mickey can trans the kids. No, we're going to go to a homesteading <laughs> conference and you're going to learn about something so much cooler and you're going to have a blast and you're going to meet like-minded people who you're going to then follow up with. Right. That's one of the cool things about this. I didn't just go to this homesteaders conference, meet a couple. I met John Lovell at the Homesteaders Conference, right? Like I, I'm, I met so many of these people that I'm now like, like I, I have conversations with or we've done videos with or we've collaborated with. I met them at these Homesteaders Conference. Um, like I, I love going into, you know, I'll, I'll run into somebody in the store or whatnot and be like, oh, hey, yeah, we met at the conference. Um, it feeds into this whole idea of intentional community. And I would, I would argue that the two, the two number one places you're going to find like-minded people um, but also have like shared skill sets, you know, church is one for like-minded people, obviously homesteaders conference. Um, and, and it's not that you guys are all going to have the exact same ideas about everything. Believe me, there is a diversity of thoughts and ideas about how to do things at the, at these places. But when it comes to like shared core fundamental values, you're going to find it and you're going to find people that it's just fun to hang out with. And when we talked about the intentional community and this whole idea of don't just build something where you're consuming Build something where you're contributing. That's what's so fun about this. You find like, you know, how cool is it to go to something like this locally? You go to something in your home state, right? Maybe you find something smaller. Maybe you find one of these bigger national conferences. And the next thing you know, you know where, hey, I can, I can get my meat there. I could get my honey there. I could get my pork there. I could get, you know, or I could get my produce there. Or I could get my raw milk there. Because like in Virginia, can you buy raw milk? Nope. But you know what you can have? A cow share. A cow share. My family has one of those. You can have a cow share. What is a cow share? Well, somebody owes dairy cows, right? And you want raw milk. Well, you can't buy raw milk because you can't commercially sell it in Virginia. But what you can buy is a share of a cow. You can be a partial owner of a dairy cow. And you cannot be denied, right, the produce of your livestock. 
right? Cannot be legally denied the produce of your lifestyle or the, the production, right? The, the, that's what I mean by the produce. Unless you're the Supreme Court during the FDR era. Yeah. Then, then you can, and then that's why we have the second amendment. All right. So <laughs> I have one last question for yeah, you actually, please. um, before you wrap up the episode, have you ever heard of Robert Conquest's second law? Um, no, that any organization not explicitly oh, right wing yes. will inevitably become left wing. Mm -hmm. So we've talked in many previous podcasts about intentional communities. We've talked about how, how do we tear down the, the Leviathan? Yeah. And, and I've made the argument that, well, it's it's about building counter institutions to yeah. the ones that the left has taken, you know, ideological capture over. This is one of them. Yep. Obviously, the homesteading community in general, with all the things that it can contribute. This, this is I, I had somebody in our circle chat ask me, like, you know, you've used these phrases, you know, to describe the, this this phenomenon of the left controlling all these institutions. How do we defeat that? Well, you defeat it again by getting involved in groups like this. But the question that I've got for you is, how do we make sure that the homesteading community, which is not explicitly right wing, no, how do we make sure that it avoids ever becoming captured by the left, like all the other institutions? You have to be on the board. You have to be on the board. That see, that's the issue with with all the the reason why they when. I would argue it's not so much that any organization that is not explicitly conservative becomes left-wing over time. I would argue that what ends up happening is that over time, the left-wing people are the most interested in actually managing institutions and organizations. Whereas, you know, if you're looking at, this is another reason why it is so dangerous to merely be a consumer and not a contributor to the organizations you care about. Because if all you're doing is getting something out of them, and you don't want to be bothered with actually what it takes to run it or be involved on any sort of administrative level, well, then you don't have as much ownership or buy-in of that organization or institution. The, it's the people that are showing up on a regular basis that what ends up happening over time is that it starts off as something simple. And before you know it, your entire board is comprised of people that don't necessarily share your values, fundamental values, but they liked the craft. And so now the whole institution, the whole organization is incorporating all these other things to be more inclusive or more, you know, whatever. And you lose control of your organization. And so that's the part where I, I can't emphasize this enough. It is not good enough to simply be a consumer of the institutions, organizations, or things that you like. You need to be a contributor because the other thing I'm going to tell you is you're going to find a far deeper relationship within that community. If you're also contributing. There's a reason why people say you, you learn, you know, learn sometimes even more from teaching because in some degree there's the pressure of making sure that what you say is correct and accurate and effective and, and everything else. It, it's the same thing with this. So that, that here's my making the argument for today. Don't just go on YouTube and consume this stuff. Don't just set up like your own garden, do all those things. That's great. That's awesome. Schedule a time to show up to one of these events. And, and like really focus on the idea of networking and then focus on this from the standpoint of I'm going to contribute in the form of, you know, maybe buying and purchasing some stuff and supporting other people. But I'm also going to look for what's the thing that really grabs my attention? Because I will tell you right now, Tina, she's had a garden before she, but I'm the one that does it now. Why? It's not that she doesn't like it. It's just that it, it didn't grab her attention as much. She doesn't, you know, she likes the chickens. She does do the chickens and stuff like that. She didn't want to raise the other animals or livestock. She didn't grab her attention. She became fascinated with beekeeping and she loves it. And there, and, and it's because that she loves it. And because she found a way that um, she doesn't just contribute 
to other people that have questions about it. It also is a way to contribute to our family in the way of providing food. She's also, um, she's also been called. She gets calls now. I've got a swarm at my house or in my yard. Can you come and get it? And Tina's like free bees, right? But then she comes with my daughter and that's quality time for them. So there's, there's all, when I say contribute, I don't just mean like getting on and doing YouTube for free for people. I mean, finding ways that the thing that you're doing is building something beyond just your immediate gratification of engaging in it. Um, and then when you get into that level of you get a little bit higher, like Tina doesn't claim to be an expert on all this stuff, but she certainly knows more than someone that's never done this before. And she's a safe person to ask questions to for her friends. That, that's one of the things that you'll notice. It's not about automatically getting on YouTube and becoming an expert, but if you're the one in your friend group doing something, your friends are going to talk to you before they go talk to somebody else. Because, and now what are you doing? You're providing value to your friend group. And that's a great feeling, especially when somebody picks up uh, and does it and likes it and enjoys it. There, there is a, you just get so much out of that. So pick, pick a homesteaders. If you're interested, pick a homesteaders conference to go to. That's your assignment, right? Pick a homesteaders conference. And as you're looking around, really ask yourself, what are the things I want to try? What are the things, what are the things I'm super passionate about? Like, yeah, I really, I'm really interested in that. I want to do that. Maybe it's, this is the year I'm going to do the meat chickens, or this is the year I'm just going to have laying hens, or this is the year where, no, I want to grow like three different varieties of tomato or whatever it is. Like I'm going to focus on doing that. Then that that's your focus, right? That's your goal. You're going to, you're going to work on doing that beginning to end to completion. And I'm going to have a product at the end that I'm proud of. Then look at a couple of the secondary things. Like, all right, what's something I want to try? Okay, you know what? I, I want to try doing the herbs too. I want to, I want to have like my own little herb garden, or maybe I want to try, you know, you know, whatever it is. Um, quail, right? Like I'm going to, I'm going to try something else that uh, maybe isn't as, as I'm not as, you know, dedicated to, but I want to, I want to try it out. A lot of times gardening can be better than the animals because you need to be <laughs> dedicated to the animals or they'll die. Um, but trying some stuff like that where you're not going to beat yourself up too bad if it doesn't work. You're going to have a little fun with it. You're going to try some things out. Um, that's what seed starts were for me this year. I, I was going to do seed starts. Very few of them worked out. I learned a ton. Guaranteed next year when I do seed starts, instead of having a 10% success rate overall from seed to transfer, I'm going to have a 50 to 60%. And that's going to be enough to keep me going and try something new. Um, this year was also the first year for a hoop house. It, I, it went well, could have gone better, but I learned a lot on what I should have done differently. Pick that stuff, pick what you're going to focus on and then, and then start to think to yourself, how is, how am I going to be a blessing to someone else as I'm doing this? And it could be as simple as when I have a huge harvest, I'm going to have friends over and they're not just, they're not just going to come over from the barbecue. They're coming home with a little basket, each one of them, or a little bag, each one of them of, you know, zucchini and tomatoes and some peppers and some other stuff. Um, it was, it was really cool for Tina and I. It was super cool for Tina and I when the price of eggs went up significantly and people were learning real quick. You depend on eggs for a lot. Eggs are the same breakfast. That's baking. That's a lot of stuff. And, and it got to the point where we were telling people, we're like, please, somebody take eggs from us. And, and, and we had people that were friends who were like, can, can we yeah, can we have some? Because it was, it was a big deal, man. When eggs are all of a sudden, they go from being like three bucks a pop to like seven, you know, five or seven bucks. That's a big deal. Um, and so it was really cool. And why did we appreciate that so much? Because we knew what it was like to be in the position of someone needing to help us and, and to be able to do that. Like it, it's, it wasn't just a blessing for you know them, a blessing for us. It was also allowed us a chance to reminisce on, you remember when 
we needed something and somebody came through and now we're getting to, we're getting to, we're getting to pay that person back. Right. That's really cool. That's really cool. So that's your assignment. Go find one of these events, go to it. They, they do a lot of them in the fall. They also do a lot in the spring. That's where you're going to find a lot of them as well, but go find something, go find a way that you're going to, what's the thing you're going to really be dedicated to. What's the thing you're going to try and what's the thing you're going to start to look for on how you can contribute. Once again, thank you for joining us. We also want to thank good ranchers because again, if you're starting off with a garden and where's your meat coming from? All right. You ain't, you ain't growing steak on a tree somewhere that doesn't grow on a bush. You need a cow for that. Right. I don't, I don't care what your tomato plant identifies as. If it's, if it's not a cow, you're not getting beef. All right. So if go you, out there. If you're afraid that you're going to kill the cow. Yeah. If you don't want to do good ranchers, <laughs> good ranchers. Look, I'm not going to get into that. The bottom line is, <laughs> bottom line is, is you're going to get a quality product. It's going to help you augment as you go down this homesteading journey. Um, because again, you're going to be able to get the food raised the way you wanted it raised for ethical reasons, for health reasons, for nutritional reasons, for quality reasons. It's going to be raised the way you want. Get on that subscription. You're going to get, you know, again, when you, when you order, you're going to get $25 off. You're going to get free shipping. You get on that subscription. You're going to additional two pounds of beef. Ladies and gentlemen, beef was going for quite a bit recently, right? Yep. That's, that is a good deal. You're not, you're, I'm not, you're not getting ground beef that you get over at one of the, you know, stores that you go in to go look at the meat and you're like, this looks a little sketchy, but yep. Hey, I'm cooking for guests. So who cares? No, you're gonna, <laughs> this is for you, right? You want the quality stuff. Um, this is a great deal. So promo code, Nick, use that. It's a great way to support the show. It's also a great way to support a good company. And most importantly, get a product that you are truly going to enjoy. Once again, thank you very much for joining and supporting the channel, and we will see you next episode.